This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn here on Mitch Marathon Month. And you know what goes well with Mitch Marathon Month? A great Mitch t-shirt available at loudtracks.com forward slash Mitch loudtracks.com forward slash Mitch. By the way, I hope you have been checking out the In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy podcast available right here on the Rock Talk channel. So again, if you want to hear the Ryan Roxy podcast, go to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. And, and since you're listening, you're already here. Scroll through, you will see the orange icon with the flames and stuff. Those are my shows. And every so often you will see a yellow icon with um, Ryan's face, and that is his podcast. He does the interviews, he is in charge of the content and so on. So so check out In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy, presented by Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. And uh, that is a perfect lead-in to our guest today, who happens to be Alice Cooper drummer Glenn Sobel. Now... As you know, here on Mitch Marathon Month, it's it's been a a time to clean out the closet and get get through interviews that have fallen through the cracks. and And the Glenn interview uh, fell through the crack a little bit because he had at the time started talking about stuff that was going to happen, and we weren't sure if it was ready to to go on air yet, or if it was still sort of off the record, and so on and so forth. So I decided to hold off for it for a couple of weeks. And then a couple of weeks became a couple of months. And so, you know, anyway, so I'm going to play it for you today. He he talks about uh, all kinds of great stuff. So do, so do take a listen. And uh, I will say I have just finished a run of uh, six shows in six nights, four cities, two provinces, two Canadian provinces, three Def Leppard shows with Tesla and... Uh, Man, I think I've already mentioned this on another podcast, but man, oh man, Tesla and, and, and Def Leppard, just a, it's a spectacular evening. And I have to say, I appreciate the fact that they realize that the crowd's a little bit older. Tesla goes on stage at 7 o'clock. It's like a military operation. Def Leppard started exactly at 8.30, and they finish exactly at 10. And I'm not kidding. In, in uh, Quebec, we said, oh, okay, they're done at 10. In Montreal, had our cell phones out. We were staring at the time, and it was 9.59, 9.59, 9.59. The band's playing. Boom! 10 o'clock. It's over. And we did the same thing in Ottawa. 9.59, 9.59. Boom! 10 o'clock. Oh, it's over. It it was spectacular how precise it was. Uh, Anyway, so so do check that out. I also had a chance to see Hart and George Thorogood and the Destroyers. Uh, Love George. Always a great, um, always a great show. And, uh... I did have a chance to uh, interview George backstage, so I'll have that for you uh, shortly. But uh, anyway, uh, Glenn is uh, one of my favorite drummers, and the band, of course, with Alice Cooper, on tour right now with Hailstorm opening up, and I do plan on seeing one of those uh, shortly. I I believe the show in Guilford, New Hampshire, August 11th, if I'm not mistaken. But um, what was I going to say? Oh, yes, uh, you know... uh, and I don't know if, if Alice would ever go for this because of maybe uh, oversaturation or, or, or weakening the brand. But, you know, Nita Strauss goes out and does uh, solo shows and Ryan and Chuck and, 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 and Tommy and stuff and Glenn, 
They do uh, some off, you know, or pre-shows or after shows. They, 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 I forget what it's called, the Goon Squad or something like that. Anyway, they do shows where they go out uh, in the cities they're in and they find a club and they and they do cover songs. I saw a video of them recently doing Kisses, Lick It Up. And of course, uh, Chuck has Bisto Blanco. And I would love to see Alice Cooper do an in the family tour where you go to the show, Anita opens up, she does 20 minutes or 25 minutes. Bisto Blanco comes out and does 20, 25 minutes, maybe the Goon Squad. But I can understand there's a lot of reasons why that wouldn't happen. You know, fatigue. Do you really want your bandmates to come out and do a set before they do a set? That's fine for one show, but, you know, 20 shows into a tour, maybe it gets to be too much. Also, you want sort of your band to, to, to have a mystique and a specialness about them. And if you get there at 7 and you, you see the first band member at seven and then the next band member at seven thirty, and then by the time you get to alice cooper's band it's like well i've already seen all these people so so i can understand why it might not happen but there's also a lot of reasons why it should happen uh they all do distinctive uh styles of music uh you know nita does more instrumental stuff uh, bisto blanco is more like a rob zombie uh, thing uh, the Goon Squad is, is cover songs. Now, of course, maybe a band doing cover songs is maybe a bad idea, but okay. But but there's some, I don't know, I think it could be fun. I, I, I think fans would enjoy that. But uh, before I continue, let us, uh, let us just get into this interview. It has been um, ripening. Is that the word for it? It, it has been maturing for, for a couple of months in the Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon Closet. So without further ado, because yes, and I've said this before, we have a dude long enough. Here is the one, the only, drummer extraordinaire, Glenn Sobel. We are speaking with Alice Cooper drummer Glenn Sobel. The band, of course, is going out on tour with Hailstorm. Glenn, bonjour, as we say in Montreal. How are you? You say bonjour? We do in Montreal. It's bonjour. Comment allez-vous? Of course. How you doing, Mitch? Good, good. Always, always a pleasure to to talk to you. I think the last time we saw each other was probably in October of 2018 in Syracuse. And uh, just a great show. Just the, the band live. Phenomenal. I mean, absolutely phenomenal. So, in fact, before we get into Hollywood Vampires and the new tour, just talk to me about that show with Alice Cooper. Because it's not just plug and play. There's a whole other thing going on. Um challenging as a drummer yeah you know that show there's definitely a set of challenges that maybe some people wouldn't be aware of just the sheer endurance factor because alice doesn't talk between songs he does not break character so it's one song into the next into the next and that that can be a challenge on some nights i got an oxygen tank up there which people get surprised about but a lot of drummers and singers do that to get a fresh breath of o2 quickly between songs so that's a challenge for sure. Well, okay. So, well, let, let me fresh from night to night. Let, let me just pick up on that because, you know, when Orianti was in the band and I had a chance to talk to her, she she had said, "Well, I wasn't expecting this to be so sort of aerobic because what you don't realize <laughs> is that when Alice goes off and does a costume change or gets ready to do the beheading thing, the band is still playing." And so oh, you're yeah. so so talk to me about that because even though we're not hearing uh, No More Mr. Nice Guy or, or we're not hearing Schools Out, there's still a soundtrack, for the lack of a better word, that's going for the entire show, right? There's 
always something going on. There is no dead air, zero in an Alice show. So if you think about it, he's actually off stage for many minutes on a given night. There is costume changes. If you think about a song like Halo of Flies, that's um, the original version of that was like seven or eight minutes on the original record on Killers. And now that's that's the song that the last couple of years that's had the drum solo in it. And then after the drum solo, there's a whole nother instrumental thing that goes on another three minutes. So that's a good, I don't know, six, seven minute break for Coop. And he's back there doing the costume change. And yeah, the show is is high energy. It does not let up. As you as you're getting older and we all get older, you know, everything. My neck's hurting just talking to you right now. Um, <laughs> talk to me about the physicality of it, though. Does does it require you to, to to have a special regiment when you know Alice is going out on tour like you are with Hailstorm? Do you have to hit the gym more? Do you have to get you know the masseuse in? Talk to me about the actual physical toll that it takes to to go out on these shows. Yeah, that's a good question. I always hit the gym. I try to go regularly a few times a week, and I try to do it when I'm on tour. I'll tell you, it's a better show for me. It's an easier show, and I feel more warmed up. If I go to the hotel gym during the day and maybe do 20 minutes of, of uh, the, the, tread mass, the, the treadmill and maybe a little bit of weights, you know, nothing crazy. But when I do that, the show is easier. It's just better when you stay in shape. You don't want the show to be your only workout during the week. No, you really don't. Uh, now, before we start moving on to the other stuff, uh, I, I do have this one question I have to ask. I, I was looking through your discography. Yep. And it says that you have a credit on a television soundtrack, Monday Night Football, the theme. First yeah. of all, is that correct? And then second of all, just quickly tell me the story about how you got to be sort of the guy playing drums on the theme for one of the biggest television presentations that, that happens every sort of – Yeah, this, this was back around 2007, Monday Night Football. They were moving networks. They were moving it to ESPN at the time. And so they wanted a redo of the theme song, which the official title for that, I think, is called Heavy Action. That's the name of that song. And they just wanted it to be updated a little bit. And at the time, the producer, he said, yeah, like, you know, Apollo 440, he was throwing out some of the kind of techno-y artists at the time, real drums, but just more current sounding. So the producer was a guy, I knew him a little bit. I ran into him somewhere, I think, at a sushi restaurant in L.A., and he was definitely a fan of a couple of things I had done, like Beautiful Creatures and some of the guitar shred albums I had played on. And we just stayed in touch. And this gig came up that he was producing. He won the job. I think several producers submitted their demos for the remake of Heavy Action. And he got chosen to do it. And producers bring in the session players. That's how it happened. Wow. So, so it is drums, right? You're not doing anything else. It's just drums on that yeah. one? Drums, yeah. And I don't know. I don't think they're using that version anymore because now it's already – 12 years later. But yeah, that lasted several years. That's actually really cool. Who who knew? Now, um, Hollywood Vampires it has announced a tour that is going to basically be uh, through the month of May. Is that uh, sort of the extent of the tour? We're doing whatever. Let me count them here. One, two, three, four, like seven shows. Or are for we? Uh, pardon me? For now. For yeah, now. Seven okay. for now. Uh, you got you got to remember that this is a, a hard thing to get a schedule going between Alice and all, you see all the tour dates we have this year. Then, of course, Aerosmith, they're working. They've got their Vegas residencies plus some other things. And then, of course, Johnny Depp's movie schedule where he takes him out of town a lot. To coordinate between all three of those guys 
to get some shows going, that's that's making heaven and earth move, you know? So, okay, so there will be some more shows. Now, there is an album coming out. I have spoken to Alice, and he said there is, I believe, three albums that he's working on, a new one with Bob Ezrin, the uh, Hollywood Vampires, and what was the third one he told me that was coming out? Uh, I guess another live album? or li- Anyway, um, talk to me about this, this Hollywood Vampires, because you are part of the touring band. You did record the album, correct? Yeah, I did the whole thing out here, yeah. So so talk to me about that process, because when it comes to an Alice Cooper album, he loves to bring in guests and special guys. Uh, how did you sort of get to be the band on this one? And did you also include any writing credits or, or any kind of other contributions? No writing credits, but, you know, this record, as opposed to the last one, the first Hollywood Vampires, I'm on about half of that one almost because there's a lot of guests. That one was mostly a covers record. And there's a couple of originals. This time it's the opposite. This is all originals and there's two or three covers. So the band, it really wanted to find a cohesive sound. And so it helps to have a consistent list of players on the record itself. So there is that consistent sound since it was originals this time. And there was definitely there's definitely some nights where I was up at Johnny's house at his studio and there were late night demo sessions where they had these riff ideas and they wanted to put it all together and put drums to that and keep writing. And they wrote things and finally they were ready to be recorded. And I did the drums out here in Woodland Hills at Howard Benson's studio. And it went down great. Recorded about 20 songs and maybe the record's got 12 or 13 that made it. Well, sounds like there's, there'll be a deluxe edition at some point. But let me let me ask you about that in terms of the drumming style. Do they come in and say... Glenn, be Glenn, do what you do, or do they say, listen, you know how Alice sounds, do that, or what's sort of the your your take going into the studio in terms of how you're going to play and what you're going to play? It's both, you know, that's, they, they bring you in because they want you to do your thing, but of course there's going to be direction on certain things because they have a vision of a song, and maybe a song is very bare bones in the beginning and it needs to be fleshed out, and they have this finished idea uh, in their head of what it should sound like, so you have to be able to work with that and listen to where they want it to go. The production on this record, it was Tommy Hendrickson and Johnny. They were the guys with the vision and and the producing credits on this. And they had a clear idea of what they wanted to do. And yeah, sometimes it was really about, you know, this is not about getting it perfect. We don't want perfect. This record, what I'm proud about is that, you know, for the musicians out there, the drummers, there's no samples blended in with the drums. There's none of the sort of programs used in Pro Tools to artificially line things up, which a lot of people would know as Beat Detective. That's a program where it quantizes, it artificially makes things perfect. Well, rock was never about making things perfect. So I think that's what makes this record stand out. They even wanted to make sure that there was on certain tracks, almost like what I call drunken drums in a way. Uh, That may have started because the very first demo session I ever did when they were writing for this was literally in the middle of the night at Johnny's house. Those guys, Johnny and Joe, they're literally vampires, you know? They like to work wow. late at night. Yeah, midnight to seven. And and by the way, Beat Detective sounds like the enemy of the people. I mean... <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's on most records you hear nowadays. You turn on modern rock radio, I mean, it's just... That's the Beat Detective station to me. And, and the drum sounds start to sound the same because they're using the same drum sounds. So it's refreshing to do a record where that isn't the goal, you know? You know, a lot has been made about rock is dead, rock is dead, rock is dead. But when you look back to the early Sabbath and the early Zeppelin and the early Kiss and all, 
they are chock filled with mistakes and imperfections. And I think that's what gives them their charm. And it's sort of hard to, it's sort of hard to embrace new rock and go, yeah, but band A and band B and band, they they all sound, that's the same drum. That's the same guitar effect. That's the same synchronized vocal. It's like, you know what we love to do musicians? Like this would be a typical discussion. Like, after sound check before the show we're chilling in the the green room whatever we sit around and we talk about how we love all these old records it's like oh yeah there's that one mistake and it's so awesome the way they just kept that and let the vibe go and and you know you you could tell where things were inconsistent but that's what made it great and i guess the longer you play the more you become aware of these things you go back and listen to old records from just about any classic rock act and you could listen to things and you'd, you'd say oh they would never let that go today they would fix that you know well, that's funny because you're going to have that conversation backstage and then you're going to say, yeah, by the way, when we make our album, don't forget the, the Pro Tools and the Beat Dot. And you're like, dude, wait, wait a minute. What are you, what are you doing? No. Yeah. Just, well, just you say know, some no. Of, some of the most classic records are so imperfect where, you know, not everything's perfectly lined up with the drums. And maybe there's some slight out of tune things with guitar or vocals, you know, but they're they're classic for a reason. They're Absolutely. Real. Oh, absolutely. And uh, let me let me just continue here. Uh, uh, where am I going to go over here? Oh, we've done Hollywood Vampires. Let's go over to this album. And that, here. that record's expected May, June. I don't have a release date yet, but somewhere around there. You know, of course, we got that tour coming up. So I think it would be somewhere in the vicinity of when we do those dates, the spring tour. Oh, I can't wait. And uh, just real quick, um, Carrie Kelly has put out a new album or called a new revenge and the lineup boasts uh james kotak uh tim ripper owens and uh, i'm trying to think rudy sarzo and then of course the video comes out and it's phil susan and and of course i heard that you and tommy from alice's band uh, had a hand in it played on it but i don't see the credit anywhere so so Correct me if I'm wrong. Are you on this album or did you just do the demos and then this, this is a final version? What's what's sort of the story with this A New Revenge? Uh, you're, you're not wrong. It's I, I'm on that record. I played drums on that record. And it's a funny thing the way that I realized it. My, my good buddy, Fran Strine, he's the director of the documentary Hired Gun. And uh, great documentary if people haven't seen it about hired gun musicians and what we do. But yeah, he was coming by my place one night. He was borrowing a, a drum because he needed something for a video he was shooting for another artist. And we were just talking and he said, oh, I just did this video for this this new group with Kerry Cully and Ripper Owens and Kotak. And he had the footage in his phone of the finished video and he showed it to me. And I'm, I went, wait a minute. I think this is me. And yeah, sure enough, it was. It was something that we did a few years ago. It was five years ago in 2014. Uh, James was not available at that time. And Carrie Kelly had reached out to Tommy and I about doing this. And I really am not completely filled in on the entire story of why we're not credited. I know he wants there to be certain names. I don't understand why Tommy's name is not on there. He recorded a lot of the vocals and mixed a lot of this um maybe he's looking at me as a ghost performer which means someone that plays on a record but is not credited but there's no contract or anything like that that i remember signing that would have been something i'd remember so that's me on the record and tommy had a very big hand in finishing that whole thing up 
So for the life of me, I don't know. I mean, a guy like Tommy will have hard drives with the tracks, the files all time stamped and dated. It's, is it a big deal? Not really, but still, you know, people should do things right and make sure the, the credits are proper. Yeah, and, and uh, record out yet? Is that something that's out, or is there just that video? No, no, record came out uh, end of March, so it, it is it is out there for for the folks to to, to pick up. And and but I'll say this because you, you know we do mention ghost musicians, and of course you look back over the years, Dick Wagner and and Steve Hunter and. You know, uh, Steve Lukather. And the, yes, they, of course, were ghosts and stuff, but they signed non-disclosure agreements because there's a band and a brand. And, and I can sort of get Carrie saying, well, listen, uh, Tommy and, and Glenn aren't going to go out to tour with me. So I'm going to show this face of this band, which will be the touring entity. I, I, I get that. But at the same time, if if two guys are buddies and they're helping out, which from what I understand, neither one of you got paid. You just sort of helped out. Oh no, I you got paid. I, oh. I did get paid something. Okay, I, I did get paid. Yeah. So my bone to pick is more just with the credit. And you know, when you're a ghost player, if you're agreeing to do that, the cash is going up because there ain't no credit. You see what I'm saying? Right. You, you're not getting credited. So. Yeah, the money's going to be higher. No, it was it was a very very bro rate favor kind of deal. I'm not worried about that. I don't know if Tommy is either. It's just more about doing the right thing. We're not talking about money here. I'm not trying to get money. No, I get that. Same, on the same hand, I, I didn't sign an NDA, a non disclosure agreement, so I could talk about it freely with you and whoever else. Whoever else. Um, okay. Well, that said, though, uh, knowing that you played on it. Uh, Proud of the music? Hey, if I'm wrong, I will stand corrected. If somehow that record, I hear the whole thing, and maybe not all the tracks were me, but I, in one day, this was a last-minute thing. Like a few days before, I got called about doing this and got sent the demos, and then had to knock out all 12 songs in a day in the studio. We did it at this guy Bruce's place in North Hollywood. But what were you saying? Um, well, I was just going to say, just in terms of, of the performance and musically, I mean, apart from the fact that, that we're, we're, we're disputing credits, is it a good album? Is it an album that you're proud of? I mean, I've heard it. It's, it's, a, it's a fun rock album. The, but the song, the song with the video, yeah, that sounds really good. That's the catchy chorus. Something to be proud of. Um, other than sounds great. I, I mean, he's a super nice guy and a killer singer. So, yeah, it's great to be on some tracks with him. And not to mention the other, you know, Rudy, I've known Rudy for years. It's cool to, to be on a record and I see him around a lot in Woodland Hills here. You got to love Rudy. And now real quick, you mentioned uh, Hired Guns. Uh, recently, I had Liberty DeVito on uh, and also Chuck Berge, by the way, who, who's another uh, another great drummer of, of, of that ilk of the Hired Gun. Il- plays, he plays with Billy Joel now, right? He plays with Billy Joel right now, and he was yeah. also, speaking of ghosts, uh, he was the ghost drummer on the very first Bon Jovi album. So, Uh-oh, but did he break his NDA by telling you that? He did tell me the story, <laughs> and I don't know if they had signed it. I don't think when no, they were I'm doing – no, but I'm just saying I don't think when they did that album – uh, I, I think there was just a collection of demos. I mean, I don't, I don't know if they had an NDA for it, but no, he spoke about it freely and uh, about how uh, Hugh McDonald and um, Alda Nova, uh, that was essentially the band <laughs> for that, for that nice. first album. But, but, but just quickly, Hired Guns, or Hired Gun, plus singular, 
great movie that came out a couple of years ago. Jason Hook and, and his gang really came up with something uh, strong. Um, just just quickly talk to me about the movie, but also being a hired gun and, and that lifestyle of not being, this is my band and we're going to tour together for the next 20 years and, and you know, doing a, a Monday night football thing and then going over to Tiffany and then going over to, um, boy, what else have you done? Gary Hoey, Im- 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 Impair Letter. I, I can't ever say that. <laughs> Fucking, that band should have changed their names because Canadians can't say it, or at least this Canadian can't. But Alice and Hollywood. I and say it if you live in Japan. Im- let me see. Let me see. I got it in front of me. Impellatory. Yeah, it's Impellatory. Chris Impellatory. It's named after him, the guitar player. Fantastic, amazing musician. Agreed. But it's been a, it was always a band with a singer. It wasn't instrumental guitar rock. Should have been called Chris. I could have at least handled that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but just talk to me about that lifestyle. And, you know, do you, do you look back at the body of work and go, I'm proud of this? Or do you look back at and some of it and go, man, I just wish that it would have been my songs and my contribution and my vision. And how, how do you sort of look back at all these different things that you've played on? Oh, I'm nothing but proud of it. I I think that drummers are more likely to be that type of musician, the hired gun sort of journeyman type, because, well, we're the least likely to be involved in songwriting. I have songwriting credits on different things, but there's just something about drummers. We like doing a lot of different kinds of styles. Most of the time, there's, there's some guys, they're just lifers. They're punk drummers and that's it. They're metal drummers. That's it. But I think more, more often than not, drummers like exploring and doing different things and evolving. So I I'm totally proud of what I've done. There's been some curveballs on the old resume, things that have surprised people. And you know what? I like surprising people. But yeah. Tiffany, uh, that, that's the surprise, right? Tiffany? That was that was on a tribute record. Yeah. I, I don't think I ever even met her. But that, that happens a lot when you're a hired gun artist. You do these recording sessions. You never even meet the person you're playing for. But yeah, all fun stuff. And I, I have been a member of a band. When I was in Beautiful Creatures, we were signed to Warner Brothers back yep. in – 2001 put out a record i'm still very proud of and people still bring up and bring copies of the cd for me to sign i'm sure dj ashba could tell you could tell you the same thing because he's toured a lot since then and and so i've seen it from a few different angles this business and you gotta have a lot of irons in the fire that's just the way it is so let me just quickly ask you about beautiful creatures and i and i know we've touched upon this in other interviews in the past but uh, there was two albums and then it sort of imploded. In fact, it didn't sort of implode. It imploded. Um, talk to me about that, because when Beautiful Creatures came out in 2001, I believe you went on OzFest that year, right? That was yeah, yeah. you were yeah. And and I saw that in Mansfield at the Tweeter Center. I remember that. That it was it it had a lot of hey, this is the new rock. This is going to save rock, and this is and there was sort of this. Uh, great groundswell of this is it. This is the next big thing. And then Deuce came that comes out and four years later. Was that, by the way, a mistake? I mean, I know that it was mastered. what a mistake that the band after the first one took four years to make the next oh. one. Should should you all have? I mean, I know Matt Starr came in, but should the band have had another album in two thousand two? Should you have worked it better? Like, what was the what, <laughs> what was the mistake? Well, we lost the deal. We were on Warner Brothers Records. It was the big, huge record deal. It, it may have been 2001, but it was still very much a remnant of like the 90s style record deal where there was a lot of money involved and, and a big budget for the record. 
big budget for touring. We did all that Ozfest that summer. We did all that before the record even came out. Like we finished Ozfest and a few days later the record came out, which meant that all this money got spent on tour support and promotion and we hadn't even sold anything yet. So, you know, things went south. A new CEO took over at Warner Brothers. This is a very typical story. You put all this work into making your record and somewhere between getting the record deal, making the record and then releasing it, a new guy takes over and the whole playbook gets thrown out. The new CEO, he wasn't feeling it with what we were doing and what we were about. He wanted to take the label in a different direction. So we got dropped. And then after that, you know, people start defecting. They start leaving the band. DJ had left. And not long after I did. And it, it took the rest of them a good while to get another record out. I'm a guy, I'm like a workaholic when it comes to studio and, and just getting things done, getting them done quick and not sitting there and letting it turn into Chinese democracy. You know, that's... That's a common thing with a lot of bands, completion anxiety, taking too long to just write or perfect things. And so we moved on by the time they got another record out. Yeah, it was four years later. I think I'm on a couple of tracks on that record. Well, and and we'll end on this because we, we've had this conversation about the tour and when the album came out, I think probably backstage. I don't know if we've done it as an interview, but but just talk to me about that that major faux pas or mistake like you're on tour and and there's there's fans with with money in pocket at a merch booth buying t-shirts and, and hot dogs and beers and they're like man I just heard this band I want to have their album and people are going well come back in 3 months because like whose yeah. decision was that what did, did, did. oh it's it's crazy I know it's like now more than ever you should not do that because people want that immediate thing that they could purchase, whether that's a download or just to be able to stream it. They want to hear you. They, they don't want to see you and then know that three months later, they'll be able to hear a record. We started that tour. It was May of 2001 and the record didn't come out till mid-August. So there was a lot of money spent. And I'm sure that new CEO coming in, he looked at that, the amount of money spent and thought about, you know, is this record going to recoup the money and how long would that but, take? But who I mean, made that decision? Uh, I mean, was that was the band? Was the album just not ready, or or like? No, it, it was scheduled at that time, but we had to get out on some big summer tour, and you know, we were happy to do it. I'll, I'll never regret that. It was it was great, but it would have been nice to have a record out. But that was that was how it was planned. It's just you learn you learn a lot about what not to do in something like that. Well, it, because. I mean, res crazy. respectfully, it was ass backwards. I mean, I it say was. That. <laughs> no, I totally agree. You learn what not to do, and and we sure did. I mean, there was stupid money spent. Like, oh, we're doing this this photo shoot. We're in Manhattan, and you know everything. It's oh, it's not recoupable, meaning you know it doesn't affect your guys' bottom line. Of course, it does. You know, it's the label telling you what you want to hear. So we do this big photo shoot in this high rise in Manhattan, and we all got our hotel rooms in Times Square. And you know, the photo shoot and the wardrobe people and the makeup people and the photographer. And by the time that's all done, it's like, oh, we spent like, you know, 30 grand on this photo shoot, whatever. You know, people that are working for the label, like the photographer, they know it's a label. They're going to name their top price. And the label says, OK, no problem. And it all gets added to the bill of what the band is going to owe through the record sales. And if the, the band doesn't look like it's going to make that back, well, it's a tax write off. Too bad for you. Right? So, and, I'll, and let me just ask you about that Ozfest tour. 
Were you a band that got invited or did you have to pay that whatever it was? I think it was like $75,000 buy-on fee. I mean, because that, that's another recoupable cost with no product to sell. Oh, totally. Yeah, this is something that a lot of people don't know about. It does happen to this day where, yeah, bands, their labels pay buy-on. Yes. The, the major headliners like that year, it was, of course – there was Sabbath headlining, Ozzy, but there was Slipknot and Marilyn Manson and Linkin Park and uh, Papa Roach. There, there was a lot of bands like that. They're the big attraction. Then there's the baby bands. Now, it depends. If the manager of, say, Slipknot has a baby band he wants to get on there, well, that becomes part of the deal with Slipknot. You know, we'll get Slipknot on, we'll negotiate our fee, and I've got this new baby band on, let's work that in somehow. You make the deal, right? But Otherwise, if a label wants to get their band on, they, they got to pay. So, yeah, you're right. I've always figured that that, that fee for us being on two and a half months of <clears throat> OzFest dates was somewhere between 50 and 100 grand. God. That the label pays. And then to be on this compilation CD, remember back then, yep. <clears throat> there wasn't as much online streaming or MP3 files. So to be on the compilation CD that got handed out for free, that cost, I believe, about 20 grand to be on. Wow. The new band being featured on the OzFest CD that gets handed out. So so you got a, you got the bro rakes. I, I had heard that that one track on that CD was 30 grand. Oh, well, so. you know, maybe 20, 30, it's all <laughs> the same. Who cares? It's all recoupable. I remember hearing let 20, Joe Lesty yeah, pay for it. <laughs> we had to hurry up and get one track mixed for the record that they that we were working on, and so to rush that mixing of the one track that costs a lot of extra money. It was just like, oh, you know, money's no object when it comes to like the band. When it comes to paying musicians' salaries, it's it's a different story. You know, it's just there's limitless money in some ways, and in other ways, we're broke. So. It, it's a funny thing with, with the industry. It's it's changed, of course, since then. We're talking 18 years ago, but a lot of rules, they, they still remain. Well, it's, it's it's sort of kind of changed. I mean, buying on to shows still exists, but, Absolutely. but buying on to maybe CD compilations doesn't. But it's just, it's just amazing to me that here you are, this new band, technically, even though all the guys were sort of veteran players. But you're $100,000. Let's say the $30,000 and the $70,000 are, are the exact... You're a hundred thousand dollars in the hole before you even hit the stage for the first time. It's yeah. It's, well, don't forget uh, everything else. You know the cost of making the record, and then you're getting out on tour. That bus, we had a tour bus from day one. That costs a lot of money. Tour manager, two crew guys, bus driver, hotel rooms a little bit. It, it was a thing where we were mainly on the bus, and there was like one or two hotel rooms on days off just for us to chill. Otherwise, no hotels. But yeah, a lot of money spent. Of course, on on gear and things like that. And if the band hits big and sells big, then the label makes that money back and maybe eventually the band sees some of that. But yeah, that's such an old school thing to spend tons of money before a record is even released. Anyway, and 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 I'll just say this for fans that are listening, it it doesn't maybe happen exactly like that now, but but I, no, I know when you no. see like a European band, you know, a band like Thunder or something like that, and they go, well, they should come and tour North America or like Diamond Head. It's like, yeah, but you know what? By the time they get the bus and the airplane tickets and the this and the, they're twenty five thirty thousand dollars in the hole, and that's before they get to the first club, and so fans right. sort of need to appreciate that. It's not that they don't like your city, they don't like your town, they don't like their fans. It's 
It's a lot of money just to it, it, show up. It is. It's it's a business, and people got to remember that. Uh, Thunder, actually, they did a couple of shows at least with us, I think, last year or the year before. Nice guys. Cool band. Great but, band. Uh, yeah, uh, that, this is why a lot of acts, they do the, the meet and greet packages, and they, they figure out other things to make their money. But, yeah, it's it's a big undertaking to bring a tour, especially overseas. Yep. Or, or if you're overseas to bring it here. So yeah, just, you know, fans sometimes need to be a little more forgiving about the band hates my city. No, they don't. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's just not free to get to your city and you got to sort of respect that. Uh, Glenn, toujours un plaisir. Always, always a pleasure. And, uh, you know, as we say, I wanted to make a quick mention. I'm starting on, well, this Sunday and most Sundays I'll be going live on YouTube for just a live chat, Q and a hang, Sunday's 12 noon Pacific Standard Time, for what that's worth. You know, just have a little fun hanging with fans and drummers asking questions. Kind of a free-for-all. Well, and, and, and it is free. It's not a, a meet-and-greet VIP you have to pay. No. no, okay. No, it costs no money to watch and ask questions. No, it's... So where do they find you? So it's on YouTube, but is it like YouTube slash Glenn Sobel or is it YouTube um, slash whatever uh, drum company or, or you, you type my name into YouTube, you can find my channel, but otherwise you just, you can go to tinyurl.com slash Glenn Sobel. Okay. So, so it is on your person. So it's not a drum company thing or a no, record company. It's, no, it's you. just me. Oh, so that's great. So, so between, um, what's the one that Ryan Roxy does with, um, uh, Steven Ad, uh, um, yeah, trash talk. Trash talk. Yeah, between trash yeah. talk and Glenn Sobel and uh, stuff, uh, the Alice Cooper band is very, very accessible. Yeah. And this and- is not trash talk, but yeah, theirs is titled <laughs> trash talk. Literally, yeah. Stefan had some words for me. I might take that seriously if he ever had a real gig, but you know, it's all good. He can <laughs> say what he wants. Well, see, we finished off with a little trash talk, but yeah, no. we did actually. Yeah, there it was. There's my token trash talk for 2019. Oh, there you go. Thank you, sir. Toujours un plaisir, as we say. Always a pleasure. And uh, merci. And hopefully we'll see you in Montreal soon. Yeah, I hope so, too. Mitch, you always know your stuff. You ask great questions, and it's a pleasure. Merci. Hold on. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. Rock Talk. 